Blog Talk Radio. And now, it's time for Healing from Within with your host, Tony Valen. Welcome to Healing From Within. I'm your host, Tony Valen. You can contact me, Tony, at TonyValen.com or visit our website, HealingFromWithin.net. Follow the show on Twitter, at TVHFW. The show is also available on iTunes and YouTube. Just search Healing From Within with Tony Valen or look for the Tony Valen channel on YouTube. Joining us on today's show is Sarah Chetkin. Sarah has a Bachelor of Arts in Anthropology and a Master of Science in Acupuncture and Oriental Medicine. Sarah is a Rohan therapist an ordained minister, and an author of a book by the title The Healing Curb. You can learn more about Sarah by going to thehealingcurvebook.com, like Facebook forward slash The Healing Curve Book. Sarah, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. My first question to my guests is always, what are your gifts and how did your journey begin? Well, I I wouldn't say I have any particular special gift. I think mainly just in my healing work and in, in everything I do, I I have the sense to get out of the way, so to speak, and just allow um, spirit or the universe or whatever to work through me, work with me, and, and I really try to avoid having any kind of attachment to an outcome. Hmm. And in doing that, um, it's it just allows things to flow more. I, you really get into a groove. You become present in the moment, and amazing results come just from that. You know, it, there's not so much that we need to do when we're doing healing work. It's really more about stepping aside and and letting spirit do the work. Um, I think, especially in healing, our when we're working one on one with somebody, our job as healers is really to just create a loving environment where someone feels comfortable enough to confront themselves, to see themselves honestly, to feel safe enough to drop their their barriers and, and really go within and, and dig deeply. That's my main goal in, in working with people, in teaching, in lecturing. So if I had to talk about a special gift, I guess that would be it, just the having the ability to to trust and to let go and and let spirit do the work for me through me absolutely like like they always say let go and let god exactly um you wrote a book uh, i mentioned at the beginning the healing curb why was scoliosis a blessing and a curse well it's certainly been a blessing because it sent me on this path and i 
I ended up dedicating my life to seeking healing, to learning about healing, to to working on going within and knowing myself fully in every aspect, um, meeting amazing healers and, you know, just everything that's come about just from having this condition has, has been wonderful. And then, I mean, the curse, <laughs> I guess, is just the normal, you know, the normal things that come with having a bad back, just occasional discomfort, things like that. I wouldn't even refer to it as a curse anymore. It just is what it is. And, and I'm doing well with it. And I think having let go of the idea that it is a curse, because I certainly started out thinking my life is cursed, my life is over, and I don't know what kind of life I'll lead. Having transformed from that into looking back and thinking, wow, what an amazing life I've had so far, and it's all it all started because of my desire for healing. What advice would you give people that insist on living life as a victim? Well, you know, that's a... A tough question, but I think everyone at some point sees themselves as a victim. I mean, I, I think that we're all very familiar with that perspective. The way we see the world, the way we interact with the world, the way we engage with people is all directed by our perspective, of course, by our belief systems, by our thoughts about who we are and, and our place in the world. So, like any other belief system, if we have the belief system that we're a victim, it just, you know, it's simply a matter of letting that go, right? Let mm -hmm. it go. Let go of that perspective. Find a new perspective. We all have within us the ability to create positive change in our life. That's not a special gift that's given to certain people and taken away from others. God or creation the life force that moves through you, moves through me, moves through everybody. So we all have access to the same tools. And feeling victimized is simply not realizing that we have access, that those tools are there. If you can shift that idea, then suddenly the whole world changes. You know, when you are feeling victimized, you look around and you think, I have no choices, I'm trapped, you know, this is, this is my life, this is the situation, what can I do? You know, there's no, there's no choice. And the worse you feel, the more limited you feel, right? The more limited you feel your choices are until at some point some people get to the place where they're so depressed and they're so victimized that they feel their only choice is life or death, right? It's I, I have no choice. It's I'm trapped. It's either I die or I just keep living in this horrible mess. But if you go the other direction, the happier you get, the more choices you have. Every day feels like you have an infinite number of choices. You can do whatever you want. And that's all just your perspective. Of course, the truth is that you do have infinite choice. You can, in any moment, change the course of your life. But when we're stuck in that trap of victimhood, we don't see that. We don't recognize our true nature anymore. We've lost sight of it. But we all have the ability to reconnect right away if we want. That's true. There's a lot of power in words and in thought. Mm -hmm. How did you find grace in humility helped you in the healing process? Well, because because humility is an empowering state of being, and I know we don't think about it that way very often, but when you're in a state of humility, you're in sort of a God state, right? Uh, Anita Moriani says God is a state of being. You know, it's the most humble place to be. You're, you're, you're just in touch with that infinite nature. When you are in that space, you can behave very humbly because 
you feel so safe and so empowered and so able to give your love to everybody, to anybody, no matter what, right? Because you know in your heart that you're infinite, you're powerful, ultimately anything that happens in this physical plane has no bearing on your true nature, on your infinite self. So when you're in that space, nothing can harm you, nothing can touch you. What is Rohan and how is it different from other therapies? Rohan is a form of spiritual psychotherapy and it helps you to quickly uncover key moments in your life uh, where you made decisions about yourself and about your place in the world. So moments where you created belief systems that really lasted, that really stuck with you and that influenced your choices from that point on. And when you go back in Rohan and you find these moments, they don't have to be traumatic moments. They could be moments where, you know, maybe your feelings were hurt a little bit or you, or you got scared, but it doesn't have to be a big trauma. But maybe in that in that instance, as a child, say, it felt a lot bigger than it was, right? Mm-hmm. And so from there on, you make a decision, well, the world is, a you know, not a safe place and I'm not safe in it, right? Yeah. So from there, now that's not a pleasant feeling. So of course, you kind of shove that person, that that thought, that idea down into the back of your subconscious somewhere and you're not aware of it anymore. But of course, it's influencing you because it's a strong belief system. It was a moment in time that you made a firm decision. And from there on, that belief system is informing everything, your perspectives, your choices, your ideas, how you interact with people, and you don't know it, but it is there. And in Rohan sessions, you come back to these places and they literally take on personas within your within your psyche so you actually go in rohan and you find these people you know these your 6 year old your 10 year old your 15 year old you go and you find them you reconnect to them and in that reconnection you're you're contacting a part of yourself that you'd forgotten so it's a beautiful um moment of you know reuniting with a part of yourself it can be scary because, again, that, that part of you is hurting still and in pain and nobody wants to deal with their own pain. It's it's too much. Mm. But in Rohan, again, as a healer, you are in a safe space. You find the courage and you feel the love and support from spirit and from the therapist. And you you just, for some reason, you just have the ability to go back and reconnect to those parts. And it's incredible. As soon as you find those pieces the healing happens instantaneously. You know, people burst into tears. They have incredible awakenings. They let go of pain they've been carrying for years. They, You know, one time I had a a really powerful Rohan session, and the next three weeks I just dropped 13 pounds. You know, you mm. literally carry these this energy in your body, right? It can yeah. be weight. It can be pain. It can be anxiety. It can be anything. And when you do these sessions that stuff falls away as you let it go. I had a woman once who had a, um, a, uh, like a twit, like a, what's it called? It's like a twitch in her face. It wasn't exactly, it was a spasm in her cheek and it kind of made her eye go crooked. And, you know, it had been there forever. And we did a Rohan session, not even a long one. It was an hour, very simple Rohan session. She had, she dealt with some things. The spasm went away and never came back. Wow. So it has physical implications as well as emotional. It's an amazing therapy. 
Absolutely. And when someone comes to you for a Rohan session, what are the steps or what can people expect when they walk through the door? What, what are the steps you take to start the session? You do a light meditation. So you, you know, they would lay on a table or just get comfortable depending on if we're doing um, a real, there are, there are a few different uh, phases of Rohan. So there's cards, which is a more, a lighter version and you just stay seated or there's really um, purification and the more intense sessions, which you would be laying down on a table, like a massage table or something. And then we go through a guided meditation just to get you peaceful and open. And then we just begin working. You know, we just start. It's a it's a chakra therapy kind of thing. So you tune in. But you don't even have to do that. You can do it that way. But I found, too, that if person has a if a person has discomfort in a part of their body, we can just start there. But we just have to start by focusing our energy and our attention on something. And from there, we begin to develop a story. You know, okay, where, what are you feeling here? Well, I'm, I'm seeing, a, I don't know, it could be anything. I'm seeing a dog, a dog that used to live next to me when I was a kid, you know, my neighbor's dog. And then we start processing that. We start building the story around that. What happened? Well, the dog attacked me one day and nobody was there to stop it. You know, it could be anything. So we just build the story, build the story, build the story. And then we work on forgiving all of the characters in the story, forgiving ourselves. Basically, it goes like that. It's not so different from what you might expect from a regular therapy session, except because we're doing it with energy, combined with energy work, combined with meditation, it takes on a deeper, it just moves quicker. People are able to move through the emotions quicker. What is the mirror technique and how do you use it in your life? Uh, the mirror technique is just a, a way for me to explain that when you are recognizing what we might call negative qualities in other people, you have to remember that those qualities are within you as well because you can't see anything outside of yourself or experience anything outside of yourself that isn't also within you. And again, that goes back to our perspectives and how they're influenced by our belief systems, right? Right. So a person may think they're doing everything with the highest and best intentions. And from your perspective, it seems like the complete opposite. Well, we have to own that. So when we see anybody doing something that we immediately, when we immediately move into judgment, we have to understand that that's our responsibility. That's our problem. And we need to look at how we ourselves are perpetuating that same behavior, right? How are we, how have we done that in the past? How are we doing that to ourselves? A lot of times, you know, maybe we don't act this way to other people, but we do it to ourselves. And, um, you know, it's it's funny the way it happens because it can be a real puzzle that you have to unravel. So I had a student once who we we did this exercise where I had them think about somebody that they didn't like, right? Mm-hmm. Which, of course, we all, we all have plenty of people we don't like. <laughs> so I had them sit in meditation and and look at that person and in their mind's eye and allow all the emotions, all of the anger, all of the negative thoughts to come up about this person. And when they got to the peak of intensity about that, I had them open their eyes and write down everything they don't like, right? Mm-hmm. And then I said, okay, now let's go down this list and I want you to close your eyes again, go into a meditative state, be open, be honest with yourself. This is a loving space. There's no judgment. How have you also been this person you know how have you played out these roles for yourself in your own life and the one woman at the top of her list said selfish the woman the this person she had thought of was selfish and she told me I'm never selfish you know I 
I don't do anything. So I mean, I she said I, I do every. I run myself ragged, in fact, doing things for other people. I mean, that's my whole life. Right? I'm devoted to everyone around me. I'm constantly giving. And I said, okay, well, that's that's good. You know, let's let's work with that. So I had her close her eyes and look at the most recent time when she was being giving, right? When she was being selfless. Mm-hmm. And she did. And it was something, I don't know, something with her husband. or And uh, I said, well, how do you feel? Right? How do you feel as you're going through this? She said, well, I don't feel good. And I said, okay, well, let's look a little deeper. When was the first time you felt this emotion, you know, having to give and not feeling good or whatever? Well, we went right by that. And immediately she remembered a time when she was little and her parents were having an argument and... Um, someone said to her, you have to go get help, because I, I guess it was a very strong, bad argument. But she was little, and she was scared. And you know how you can get frozen by fear? She didn't move. She couldn't do anything. She never went to get help. And I don't know what the outcome of that situation was, but in her mind's eye, in that moment, she had the idea, I'm selfish. I didn't go get help. You know, my mom needed me, and I couldn't do it. I'm selfish. And that's what that little girl took from that that from that scenario, carrying it all the way through her life so that actually when she was doing all of these selfless acts, it wasn't from a place of joy, the joy of giving. It was because she was trying to prove to herself that she wasn't selfish, right? Right. Yeah. So everywhere she looked, she would see selfish people because in her mind, what she was experiencing all the time was, I'm selfish, I'm selfish, I'm selfish. So what does she see outside of herself? Selfish, selfish, selfish. It's a reminder all the time. Look at these things. You know, you're seeing these behaviors in other people and you're judging them. But really what's happening is it's your subconscious trying to say, hi, you know, please look at me. Let's process this. Let's heal these things and and move on. Yeah. So that's why the mirror technique is so helpful because it shows you uh, areas of your subconscious, your psyche, whatever, that are calling out for help and showing you in the outside world the things you need to focus on in yourself to reach them. Absolutely, yeah. And uh, so I guess it's not so much like looking at yourself in the mirror. It's like looking at other people. And, and you know, that kind of brings up a thing with me because sometimes I I look at people and, and I see things that I may not like about them. And, and in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, do I have that quality? And maybe that's why I'm focusing on it. Is, is that what you mean by the mirror? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I've been doing it all this time. I didn't realize that. <laughs> well, it's, it's so important, and it makes it so much easier to get to get on in life. Yeah, absolutely. What breakthroughs did you have during the uh, trans healing meditation? Uh, I'm sorry, trans healing workshop at the Arthur Finley School of England. That was such a fun class, and I I think I had a lot of breakthrough moments just in trance technique, though not so much for myself personally. But the wonderful thing about trance is this, it's a whole exercise in completely giving up control. And I just, I i really loved that. I think that's so important in life, too, to allow the outside world to just be as it is. You know, people coming, doing whatever, like we were just speaking about, you know, doing things to you or you're perceiving this one is bad and this one is good and, you know, all the duality letting all of that go, giving up control, and just working on yourself. So working on trance work is really an exercise in, in letting go and and allowing whatever's going to happen to happen. So 
they're not the two aren't completely related, but it's just the action, just the the need to do that, and I, I think that's so important anyway. Everybody should study trance. <laughs> yeah, and when you give up control, who are you giving up control to? What what does that exactly mean? Well, you have um, spirits working with you in trance. In fact, it was really special for me because in that class, my my great grandmother was a trance medium, and she was amazing. I mean, she could, you know, things. She would go into trance, move things across the room, uh, things trumpets. I don't know if you know much about spiritualism, but in the beginning, they would do these uh, they would do these seances, and the medium would go into trance, and they would have this thing called a trumpet, and it's not a trumpet; it's a it's a long cylinder, a long metal cone cone shaped sort of cylinder. Mm-hmm. When it would uh, levitate, and through it, spirit would talk. And oh. yeah, now most mediums would do this in a dark room. You know how you think of a typical seance. My grandmother did it in broad daylight out in the yard. So my great grandmother, excuse me. Mm. She would do all of this work. And so when I was when I went to this class at Arthur Finley, I I felt her come in and work through me through the whole class, working in trance, speaking through me. It was it was really special because I never met her in life. But my mother was very close to her, so all of my life I've had heard stories about her and she talks about her constantly and we have her portrait in the house and um, it was a really special moment. Has she paid you a visit ever since? You know, I I feel her around from time to time. I haven't been doing a lot of trance work lately. Just I have kids. You know, my life is very hectic right, right. now. So, <laughs> but um, when I was still working on it, I would feel her around a lot. She's a very light-hearted, fun energy, just always laughing and happy. What is psychic surgery, and how did it help you? Psychic surgery is um, something that's very popular in Brazil, and it's uh, the the surgeon, so to speak, is a person who goes into trance again, and uh, spirit doctors work through them, and they perform real surgeries, or they just do energy work. It really depends on the person uh, going for healing. And um, in my case, the one I went to really performed, he, he would use these long needles, but needle is the wrong word, really, because they're more like knitting needles and very long, thick metal poles, basically. Yeah. And um, he would insert them into the body, and he helped my parents tremendously. My dad's knee problems went away, my mother's low back pain. My mom had debilitating low back pain in the mornings for years, and it went away from seeing him. He worked on me as well, and he said that, um, well, my scoliosis was so severe that he couldn't just do it all at once. He said that would, I, the pain would be excruciating. I couldn't have handled it. So he would work little by little. Um, and I think, you know, I don't know what it did for me physically, but the thing that I really brought away from that, what took away from that was that we just don't understand the nature of our physical universe really at all. I mean, the things that are possible and other things too that I've seen, you know, just uh, people who emanate light directly from their bodies. I mean, just bright, bright light pouring out of their bodies. Uh, I, my parents had a friend who, when he would walk, sometimes wooden crosses would just fall out of the sky, out of the air behind him. Um, one time he was, we were sitting at dinner and he had a, a woman was seated next to him who had just buried her daughter 
and she had buried her with this necklace. And he, he said, you know, your daughter is here, something, and, you know, she wants to say she loves you. And he put his hand out on the table for her to take something. And in his hand was the necklace that she had buried her daughter with. I mean, just so I guess my point is that something like psychic surgery reminds us how how wrong it is to assume that the physical reality is just what it is and what you see is what you get. And, you know, a table is a table and a chair is a chair and it's solid and it's Im immutable. It doesn't change. It doesn't shift. You know, that's just wrong. The physical universe is just an illusion and, and incredible things can happen out of that illusion if we if we let go of this notion that we have to be in control and that everything is predictable and 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 you know based on scientific evidence and you know that whole shebang I guess I could you would call it I it really helped me to see beyond that veil hmm. and it gave me the courage to keep going down the path because if you don't have the sense that miracles can happen that that life is this incredible mystery that there's so much more than what we just, than the, what we see, then how can you ever go down a path with a condition like mine, a path of healing and, and not going to doctors, not going with surgery, you know, really working on it myself. I mean, you have to have your faith and your courage from something. And that was one piece of the puzzle that encouraged me to continue. Mm -hmm. When you put uh, aside your fear in the Cathedral of Spain and chose acceptance, how did the decision impact your life? Well, sort of on the same in the same vein, it showed me that fear is just something you choose to carry with you. You know, anger is just something you choose to carry with you. Guilt, just something you're choosing to carry with you. You know, why not choose to carry joy and peace and love and harmony? So I, I learned that my fear is something I can easily put aside. You know, I can call on that energy. I can say, take this from me. I'm giving it up. I'm dropping it. I'm letting it go. And I can move on and choose something else for my life. It happened so fast, you know, just in an instant. And it, it happened in a cathedral, but not so much because I was in a cathedral, but just because I felt safe enough. To do that, I can feel that safe in my own living room. You know, it's not yeah. about the place; it's about the inward inner experience. Mm. And I think, you know, sometimes again, we put a lot of emphasis on the physical location. It really has nothing to do with that. It's about our experience of that location, and can we carry that experience into other places? Learn to carry that experience with us. You know, it's our experience. We are the ones moving through it. We are the ones creating it. Right. Absolutely. You witnessed Papa do a Maori healing on a child. Do you think this type of healing will ever be acceptable and recognized in the U.S.? Well, the work that the Maori do is really, it's, it's really like, um, have you ever had Thai massage? Or it's, it's a lot of stretching and moving, and of course they're incorporating their own healing and energy work into it. But I think that we already have people doing incredible work in the United States, incredible body work, incredible healing energy work. And I think that it's accepted, but in order to find those people, in order to to really embrace it, I guess we do have to have the courage to step away from the mainstream a little bit and, you know, look beyond what the doctors and the scientific community tells us is 
you know, as viable and, and good science, evidence-based healing work. I mean, we have to step away from that and, and look to something else. Healing is like alchemy. It's, it's not, it, it entails so many different things. It entails, I mean, it, it love, right? I mean, love mm-hmm. is one of the most important things in healing. Yeah. Trust, energy, uh, all of the things we've been talking about, not just a sterile clinical environment and a drug and a, you know, a physician and a knife. I mean, certainly to me, having gone through everything I've gone through and having studied as much as I have about healing work and, and having seen so much that feels close to barbaric and antiquated. And I don't know why we haven't transcended that yet. You know, moved to something else. I mean, there's so much, elegant, beautiful healing techniques available to us in the world. And everybody just turns to that first. And I don't know why. Yeah. Do you think Maori healing created the biggest shift in your daily life? I think it did from a physical perspective, for sure. I mean, he he was the first one to really get in there and create real change overnight. And after that, people could come in and work on my back and really and really affect even more change. So that was I mean that was just a turning point for me. And then the relationship I had with Papa was just really special in its own right. Hmm. This is Tony Valen, host of Healing From Within. You can contact me Tony at tonyvalen.com or visit our website healingfromwithin.net. Follow the show on Twitter at TVHFW. The show is also available on iTunes and YouTube. And you can go to Healing From Within with Tony Valen or look for the Tony Valen channel on YouTube. We're talking to our guest, Sarah Chetkin. Sarah has a Bachelor of Arts in Anthropology and a Master of Science in Acupuncture and Oriental Medicine. Sarah is a Rohan therapist and an ordained minister and an author of a book, The Healing Curve. You can learn more about Sarah by going to thehealingcurve.com, like Facebook forward slash healingcurvebook.com. Sarah, why is there power in stillness? Well, first, let's say, let's talk about stillness itself, which mm-hmm. really is a state of being, right? It's a state of mind. It's not about are you sitting still or are you, it's not about your physical body. So you can be the busiest person in the world, but the quality of stillness is something you carry with you. Your mind is quiet, right? Right. Yeah. A quiet mind lets go of control. It allows spirit to work through it. You know, a quiet mind is open and receptive to the wisdom of the universe. A quiet mind can listen. A quiet mind is present, right? When we, when we have all of these thoughts and, you know, a lot of times if you notice you're narrating your whole life with your thoughts, you know, or as you're going through the day, you're constantly, constantly going over data. I, I heard someone say a, a really well-respected teacher who I love and adore too, Sadhguru is his name. Mm-hmm. He said thoughts or thinking, it's just recycling data that you've already processed, collected and processed. You know, there's no need to think. I mean, Almost every thought you have is just a, it's it's unnecessary. If you sit and you quiet your mind and you really pay attention to the quality of your thoughts and what they're telling you all day long, you start to notice you don't need it. You don't need that constant mental chatter. If anything, it just makes us a bit neurotic. And when you 
when you start to quiet that down, you see that you process data, you experience life, it's still full and incredible, and you're not always chattering to yourself, you know, it's, it's amazing the amount of things that you can process and understand and look at without thinking. We're letting go of all of this baggage because we're not constantly recycling it, recycling it, recycling it in our mind. We're just letting it go. We see it, it's processed, okay, we move on. And in that way, we become more present. And when you're fully present, you're no longer carrying the past with you, right? You're not worried about the future anymore. You're just 100% in the moment. Yeah. And the decisions you make from that place are influenced by divine intelligence, not, excuse me, not by your belief systems collected over decades of painful experiences and, and fears and guilt, disappointments. You know, most of our decisions when we're in an unconscious place, when we are chattering to ourselves, are based on on that kind of thing, on this negativity that we're constantly carrying. And we call it karma, right? I mean, right. it's baggage that you carry with you that you make all of your decisions from. When your mind is quiet, when you're in a peaceful place, when you're in a still place, and you're fully present without all of that baggage, you make decisions based on an accurate perspective of the present moment. It's not influenced anymore by past experience. And that's why stillness is so wonderful. And you can get there through daily meditation, Qigong practice. You know, any of these sort of spiritual practices help you to get there. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I wish people would understand that because it's really, it really does help someone. And, and I, I myself, I'm getting there. I'm still getting there. But believe you me, it's easier said than done especially in today's world. Don't you agree? Absolutely. Oh, I absolutely agree. It's, you know, our lives get so busy and sometimes I try to do Qigong every morning. Sometimes it just doesn't happen and it's a 20-minute exercise, you know? It's, yeah. it's definitely not easy, <laughs> but at, at every point in the day, I, if I can, I try. Just, you know, you can do it in moments. If you have a moment, sit still. All you have to do is breathe. You yeah. know, just focusing on your breath for a few moments it has a profound effect on you physically, mentally. My husband is amazing and he's he's a real, he, he inspires me because he gets up every morning at six o'clock and meditates for an hour. Do you think that listening is important and what you're listening to and the reasons you're listening? I think it's important during the phase of growth when you're learning about yourself, right? So we all come on this spiritual path and you know, first we go out and we learn about teachers and, and we go to this class and we go to that class and we learn this philosophy and we learn that philosophy and it's really, really interesting, but there's no focus so much on ourselves, right? Mm -hmm. Then we learn, we, we start to realize, at least this has been my experience, that, you know, okay, these teachers are great, but I'm getting my own answers now, you know, as I as my meditation practice gets better and as I as I learn to quiet myself more, I find that I can get my own answers and you start to sort of shy away a little bit from classes and, and you're doing your own seeking. And what you start to hear at first is all of your imbalances start to come up, right? Because you're learning about yourself. So you know thyself. I mean, it's, it's, it has to be one of the most important things you can do with your life is know thyself. And we're not talking your political views or whether you want to be a vegetarian or not or whether you want to wear fur or not. Or We're not talking. We're going deeper, right? much yeah. deeper than that. We were talking about 
the Rohan processes, you know, knowing yourself, knowing your belief systems, knowing why you made certain decisions, knowing why you act the way you do right now. Why does this person bother you when that person doesn't? Why do you have fear at night? Or, you know, really, really knowing who you are in that way. So when you first start this listening, you're hearing all of this. You're hearing all of the answers to these imbalances. Your subconscious is constantly bubbling up and telling you, you know, like we said with the mirror technique, it's, it's saying, look at me, look at me. I, I have these fears. I want to address them. I have these guilt things that I want to let go of. I just, I want to let go of all this. And as we quiet ourselves down and we begin to listen to that, we begin to learn about ourselves, right? So I remember now the uh, experience at Arthur Finley when I was coming down the stairs. And of course, this is a very quiet place. I mean, we're spending the day in meditation, right? All day long in trance. I mean, you doesn't get any quieter than that. And um, I had this intense anxiety come up. And just because I, I know now I've trained myself when something like that happens, I just go into meditation. I, that's, you know, that's the way to deal with it. Mm. So I did, I went into meditation and I, and I found this part of myself that wanted, um, wanted to be ill, you know, felt like illness was the best way to get special treatment, right? And mm -hmm. to to really have people unconditionally love me because who could hate you when you're at your weakest, right? Right. Now, on the surface, I was always dealing with uh, hypochondria, terrified of being sick. And then the inside, I had this person inside of me who wanted to be sick. So, of course, you know, I, I they were at odds with each other all yeah. the time. And that was creating this anxiety, and in that moment, because I was so quiet in my mind, I had the presence of mind to say, wait, this anxiety, I'm not going to just shove it aside and try to distract myself. I'm going to dive into it and see what it is. And I uncovered that imbalance. It was so powerful and, and so important, but I would not have gotten there without taking a moment to listen to this anxiety, to be present with that emotion. So often when we have a negative emotion, what do we do, right? We run off and try to escape it as quickly as we can because, you know, it's not fun. It's not pleasant. Right. And there is something to be said for feeling good. But if you're always suffering from this anxiety, at some point you have to turn and face it and allow it its space in your life to express itself. And once it has, it goes. That's the trick with anxiety. Once you've acknowledged it, allowed it some space, it's there, you see it, you see where it's coming from, where it's truly coming from. It goes, you know, it just wants recognition. So that's these things in our subconscious, they just want recognition. Once we give it to them, they go. Right. Yeah. And I have a friend that always says to me, you know, whenever you have these thoughts, acknowledge it, but don't honor it. Yeah. Acknowledge it. And, you know, it's it's just a thought. And we thought creates, but thought creates with emotion. So when you have a thought tied with an emotion, that's where, you know, you you begin to create these belief systems and then you begin to create your choices from there and that's how you create your life. Right. But this thought, that thought, you know, I mean, how many thoughts do you have a day? They don't all manifest. The ones that manifest are the ones that you, you know, the ruminating thoughts, the things that keep going around and around in your head that create emotion within you. Emotion is what's creating. So, yeah. I just wanted to point out one thing. You do eventually transcend this 
this process of finding these thought patterns and these belief systems within your subconscious, eventually you begin to look beyond that. It's not that you've found them all or that you've exhausted the supply because it's an endless supply, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but you begin to go beyond it, to learn that it's, it is not the, the be-all, end-all. I mean, that's not, that's not who you are either. You know, you go beyond it and you start to seek and to encounter the infinite self. And that's when things get really interesting and really beautiful. But you do have to learn... You, you do have to encounter the anxieties and the fears and begin to recognize them for what they are before you can get beyond that. Because right now, we don't have contact with that infinite self on a daily basis, right? So the only right. thing we have are our thoughts and feelings. So, of course, we begin to develop the idea that that's who we are, but that's not true. You know, your thoughts and feelings are here with you now, but when in 20 years, you could have different thoughts and feelings. You know, you're a different person. It's always changing. Your ultimate self, your unchanging infinite self is something far beyond your emotions and your thoughts. Mm. But you have to go through the phases. Absolutely. Um, You've been to uh, so many healers. Do you have a lasting relationship with any of them? I do. My Cheryl is uh, someone I write about in the book, and she's a very close friend, and we're always in contact. She was just here, in fact, and um, a lovely person, and I'm so grateful for our relationship. She's an incredible healer, and it's always fun to have her. And I would probably have a... I mean, I would still be in touch with Papa, too, but he passed away. And, you know, I've, I've felt him around me many times, too. I was ill one time traveling in Europe with uh, visiting friends in Europe. I had the flu and I was laying in my room just, you know, trying to nap, not feeling well. And I had a dream about him. And in the dream, he came into the room where I was sleeping and he stood over me and he passed his hand over my body and out of his hand was pouring all of this light. And then he, you know, that was it. He went away. But right after that, I woke up and my flu was gone. Wow. Yeah. So he's around. (laughs) <laughs> That's amazing, yeah. Uh, of all your experiences, which one would you say had the most profound effect on you? You know, looking back now, I think writing the book was probably something that had a very profound effect on me because I had to revisit all of my emotional ups and downs. I had to face unresolved fears. I Writing the introduction to the book, the moment when I when we discovered the scoliosis, I had never gone back to that. I had never put it on paper in front of myself so that I could see it. You know, I just, again, I shoved that part of me away. I shoved that experience away and I never revisited it because I just, I didn't, it was too painful, too scary. So it took me three weeks to write the introduction because I had to stop. I would, I would pause, I would cry, I would have anxiety. I'd walk away from it. I'd do other things. I'd come back a couple days later and try to keep going that was an amazing healing for me and doing that over and over again throughout the book, it just helped me understand the whole path so much more. I think, and that's why journaling is so important, right? I mean, you really get your, your emotions and your belief systems on paper. And if you can do it in a conscious way without blame and with a desire to know yourself better then wow, I mean, what a healing process that is. Yeah. 
What would you tell someone who's just beginning the healing or spiritual journey? What advice would you give them? I would say to seek the truth within yourself and to seek out teachers who will give you techniques to do that, to help you go deeper, not teachers who are, you know, discussing a philosophy or, or I don't, I don't know. I, I only would look for teachers who show you this is how to go deeper. You have the wisdom within yourself. Let's do this meditation to prove it to you. You know, that's what you want. I mean, you want to learn how to quiet your mind, how to go within, how to find the answers for yourself. You know, it's the difference between someone who gives you a fish and someone who teaches you to fish, right? That's right. That's so important. Absolutely. Can you tell the listeners where they can go to purchase your book? Yes, they can purchase it on Amazon.com. It's available on Kindle. Uh, I believe it's in Barnes & Noble and Nook as well. And also you can find out more information at my website, which is thehealingcurvebook.com. Perfect. What's next for Sarah? Well, right now I'm <laughs> in a completely unrelated topic. I, we just purchased a coffee shop and I'm going to be doing a sort of a bakery and coffee shop. I've always loved baking. so Wow. Yep. So that's our current venture. And hopefully... As my kids get older, I'll have more time to sit down and write and and really focus more on that. I'm still lecturing and 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 thinking and and discussing. My husband and I are both philosophers at heart, so we'll see where that leads us. But I've always wanted to do this, so I'm taking a moment and it's a seasonal business. So in the summers, we'll have our coffee shop in Lilydale. Wonderful, good for you. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Our thanks to Sarah Chetkin. Sarah has a Bachelor of Arts in Anthropology and a Master of Science in Acupuncture and Oriental Medicine. Sarah is a Rohan therapist, an ordained minister, and an author of a book by the title, The Healing Curve. You can learn more about Sarah by going to thehealingcurvebook.com, like Facebook, forward slash The Healing Curve Book. You're listening to Healing from Within with Tony Balin here on Blog Talk Radio, airing Monday through Friday, 6 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Central. Visit our website, HealingFromWithin.net. Contact me directly, Tony, at TonyVaila.com. Please follow the show on Twitter, at TVHFW. The show is also available on iTunes and YouTube. Just search Healing From Within with Tony Valen or look for the Tony Valen channel on YouTube. Thank you so much, and love and light from all of us here at Healing From Within. Mm-hmm. 